All right, I just have a couple housekeeping items to read off today, um, just for people turn, tuning in to the podcast for the first time. Um, so just bear with me here. I'm just going to read a couple things. Not everybody has the time to read, especially not now during COVID. People are busy. It's a tough time. But I think people are generally intrigued by how stories influence other people especially smart and successful people such as I have here with me today on the podcast. Um, if you're part of the Gilman community and just tuning in, I hope you've enjoyed the, the past 17 episodes that we've done. It's been really fun to record and talk to the different people that we have here on campus. Um, no doubt they deserve to be on display and to be recognized for their stories and how they came to Gilman and how they started teaching and coaching here. Um, if you're from outside the Gilman community, that's awesome too. I hope these episodes have been worth your while. And if nothing else, and if you don't know the, the guests that we have, at least you'll come away from this podcast with a few book recommendations um, because each time we'll, we'll talk about some book that has influenced or made an impact or one of our guests would like to recommend to the, the public. Um, on episode number 18 today, I'm really looking forward to talking to Anna Fallensby about her story, how she came to Gilman, what she's up to today. Um, it's been weird. I usually see Anna all the time, but it's been maybe this is a few conversations yeah. we've had so far this year. Passing, right? So welcome to episode 18, Anna Fallensby. Thank great you. Great to be with you. Jake Scott, great to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> How's the year going for you? The year is going well. How's your year going? It's all right. I mean, yeah. I, I I was saying today that other than the mask thing, not too much has changed. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still coming up to school. Right. I think the best thing that, that I've done, and really my dad did for me, was put me close to campus. Mm -hmm. I just like being able to walk here is a yeah. game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I forgot I do have a little gift for you today. Oh, thank you. Well, path to follow t-shirt t-shirt excellent thank so we, you we have some more merch um <laughs> in the works mm -hmm. people are interested i think it's a good christmas gift if you know just let me know just some self-promotion <laughs> and is this a jake scott um original it is artwork? yeah i, I did Very it nice. um on the ipads that they oh, gave cool. us this uh -huh. year so use the greyhound but the thing is about the podcast, I, I don't want to make it totally specific to Gilman because right. I think eventually it would be cool to have people outside and in yeah. the Baltimore mm -hmm. community on here once we get out of the, you know, out of the weeds of COVID, hopefully soon. But um, so I have the Greyhound and it's tied to Gilman. Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk to alumni and teachers and coaches, right. but maybe one day we can get some some other people yeah and expand beyond that that's a great idea well thank you yeah for <laughs> sure um so so anna why don't you maybe you can talk a little bit about what you do here on campus at gilman yeah absolutely so i am the associate director of college counseling um so i've been in college counseling for eight years at gilman I am also, like most of our colleagues, I'm an advisor. So I have eight advisees this year. I coach, well, in non-COVID times, I coach uh, intramural ultimate Frisbee. I'm the assistant assistant coach after. So if Jim Morrison and Dallas Jacobs both 
fall ill, then I'm in charge. Um, our spring season obviously got canceled, so I'm not sure what will happen this year. Um, and I run the Senior Encounter Program, also to be determined in COVID times. Right. Um, and then for seven of the last eight years, I taught 10th grade English. Gotcha. Yeah. So the Senior Encounter Program, did that happen last year or was that interfered with? It didn't because it starts in typically in mid-May. So the students at that point with COVID, um, most businesses were not welcoming interns and most places were closed. And so Senior Encounter was not able to happen last year, unfortunately, which was too bad because a lot of students had really put a lot of time and energy into finding projects or co connecting with alums or local people in the community to set up a project. Um, and then for this year, it's still, you know, it's just so hard to know what things will look like in May. And this is the time when students would usually be starting to think about what they might do. And mm -hmm. so I think that's going to be also some of the challenge. There might be a business, a company that in theory could host a student in May, but they probably don't know now or even in January or February if they will be able to host people in May. So we're kind of talking about um, just some different things we might do with that time, hopefully still incorporating some element of, you know, thinking about different careers and academic paths in college and um, networking or building a resume, some of those skills that are still important, but it will definitely look different than it has in years past. Yeah, I think the encounter is one of the coolest things that yeah. we offer mm -hmm. at Gilman for seniors, because at that point, you know, the academics are somewhat out of the way and they're looking right. forward to college. And when you get to college, it's really helpful to have some idea mm -hmm. of what you like to do and maybe what didn't work out for you. Right. I know I had something similar my senior year at Conestoga mm -hmm. and I, I interned with a orthopedic surgeon. So I was in the hospital room. I liked it a lot, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know, just that experience of being with someone professionally and just shadowing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do anything, but right. I just watched and tried to figure out if that might be something I would like. That you like. Or, yeah. And um, Jeff Guline tells a great story about doing his senior encounter with an engineering firm and realizing, I hate this. I can't do this for the rest of my life and switched his major maybe to history or something. But, you know, just realized that was not the path for him to follow. Oh, wow. you incorporated <laughs> um, that perfectly. That was pretty good, right? That was great. Um, and, you know, we've had lots of seniors that got internship, you know, full summer internship opportunities through their encounter. Lots of boys have been welcomed back either during college or in subsequent summers to intern or have a paid position. So for students that really invest themselves, you know, it's a great way to start building those connections and, and networking with people and, and like you said, getting an idea of, oh, I really like this, or, oh, I don't like this, or... It might even be more useful to know that you hate something. Like yeah, you hate the, absolutely. I, I don't want to do this, right. you know? Right. I want to go the opposite right. direction. Right. I faint at the sight of blood, so I'm probably not going to be a surgeon. Yeah. 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 What are some of the more popular professions or internship that guys take up? Are there certain ones that people 
apply to every year and try to get or? Yeah, I would say very broadly speaking, business and engineering are probably the most common categories. Tivro Price runs a really great program for multiple high schools. So there are Gilman students there and McDonough and St. Paul's and um, all the various area schools that have some version of encounter. And that is always really popular and it's pretty competitive. Yeah, so there's, I was gonna say. yeah, there's only so many spaces and it will be then maybe between two and four seniors are there. And that is really set up to be almost like a a mini course. So they have this morning with this area of I don't even know enough about T. Rowe Price mm -hmm. to know all their different branches. but It's like a rotating program. Yeah, so they go and meet with all these different people in the company and get this overview of kind of the world of finance and investing. And then they have a project that they work with a small group to do. So I think they're supposed to kind of put together some kind of presentation. So then that involves them doing research. So that's a really a great program that's always popular. And then um, I would say also sports related things. So there will always be seniors with the Ravens, with the Orioles um, and some pretty cool opportunities there. And it's great for a lot of students to see that sports is actually a wide ranging profession that of course you can play and you can coach, but there are also communications people and there's the people that sell the tickets and people that manage teams. And so some students have had some pretty cool opportunities mm -hmm. there too. Yeah, I remember when I was doing my senior encounter mm -hmm. internship, they called it, I was with this doctor, the surgeon, and I found it so interesting how business-like the medical yeah. profession was. Mm -hmm. Because I remember sitting with him all day and he would have patients coming in and you only have like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to look at the x-ray, right. figure out what's wrong with this person, and then prescribe, you know, the treatment, the next thing. And he would say, I found it so interesting, he'd say the same thing to each person who came in. Mm -hmm. what, what's talking what, What's talking to you? <laughs> He's like, my knee is like killing me. Like, right. what, what do you want me to do? And it was in and out. Like, okay, here, crutches, or mm -hmm. here, go pick this prescription up, or, you know, here's a boot, right? It was, it was, in and out of uh, yeah. the people. I thought that was, because I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's just a, kind of a revolving door of patients. Right, yeah. you need, you need. it's a business, right? like, like anything, you know? Right. Um, but definitely a valuable yeah. program that we have and we offer uh, for our seniors. Yeah, and that's actually a good, I, I should say a lot of students too will do their encounters somewhat related to medicine mm -hmm. and research. And we're so fortunate to be between Hopkins Hospital, the University of Maryland Medical Center, Sinai Mercy, you know, to have such a robust hospital system. Mm -hmm. um, and, and students within that are doing, you know, such a range from things like observing surgeons or physicians or pediatricians to more the research side of things within um, neurology or I don't know, all kinds of other opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've been really fortunate too that a lot of Gilman parents have volunteered to host students. And mm -hmm. so that's been a great network to kind of tap into also. Did you, yeah. when you were growing up, did you have something like this that you kind of figured out you wanted to be a teacher or was it more natural for yeah. you or what was your kind of experience 
getting into teaching? Yeah, so I did, when I was in college, I did a, a kindergarten teaching internship. It was a, it was a, I was a psychology major, and so it was actually a science department internship that seniors could do, and you, you split your time between teaching science, um, because my college considered psychology in the natural sciences. So you split your time between teaching science in an elementary school and then helping kids with reading. And I hated it. It was terrifying. Mm. Um, I'm so much less intimidated by a room of sophomores than I was of these kindergartners. And, you know, I look back on it and realize we also got very little direction. And so I had you know, babysat my whole life, but I had no idea how to teach young children. And so I actually kind of um, pivoted away from thoughts of teaching at that point, as much as I do and still love kids. And then it was when I came to Gilman, because my professional background is in college admission. So unlike, you know, Matt Herman and Justin Baker, that really kind of were teachers and still are teachers and then transitioned into college counseling. I came from the other side. So Gilman was my first teaching experience, which kind of came along with the job, um, which is great. And I miss it. I miss, I'm not teaching this year because, mm -hmm. or I'm not teaching English this year because we are starting college counseling seminars for juniors and seniors in the afternoon. So I will still be, and still I'm teaching, but it just looks a little different than sophomore so English. So those are going to be starting in the spring? Yeah, we had a version of a senior seminar this year, but with just COVID and Zoom, it was not, um, it went well, but it will be easier next year when we're back in person. Mm -hmm. um, and so seniors, it was a lot more of just kind of procedural things like how to apply for financial aid, getting ready for interviews. And then we'll start with juniors in January to go through a series of seminar courses throughout the spring that will be um, partly procedural and logistical, you know, how they log on to Naviance and how they make use of different technological tools, but also more philosophical, like why do you want to go to college and what might you want in a future school? What's important to you? Who are you as a person exploring different academic fields? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, I think that's necessary for yeah. sure. Just think reflecting on yourself and what you might like, because when you're 16 or 17, you've no, you've no clue unless you've been to a, you know, different campuses and felt it out. But even then, it's hard to imagine yeah. what life is like on your own right. away from your parents taking right. care of you. And there's so many, you know, there's 4,000 colleges in the U.S., but a lot of our students, you know, understandably are only familiar with a very small number of schools, either maybe where their parents or older siblings have gone or other family members or a place like Hopkins that's right down the street. And so I think it's a really challenging um exercise to how do you get to understand a college and how do you narrow down your options and how might you think about some colleges that you haven't heard of but that could be a really great match for you and how do you get a sense of of the the spirit of a college because you know all the just like our schools everyone's got a flashy website and they've paid consultants all this money yeah. you know to design taglines and 
But until you are really able to maybe physically walk around the campus or connect with current students or connect with recent alums, it's hard to know what that fit for you might be like. Um, That's what I think is probably most important is the feeling you get when you go to a certain campus and just noticing that being in touch with that beforehand and saying, yeah, this, this fits, this, you know, feels right. Right. That's that's probably number one, right? Right. Yeah. Cause I think somewhere, and I remember this in my own college search, a place on paper could look like it's everything that you want in terms of say size or location or geography and programs. And you might get there and say, Oh, I, I don't want to be here. These aren't, this isn't a place I see myself living for four years. Right. And and even like Harvard, for example, everyone thinks Harvard, like that's the top. I want right. to go to that school. Right. It's amazing. But it really is not for, I know yeah. a lot of people who were at Harvard and could, the, the environment is unlike anything else. It's just everyone's super competitive. Right. Everyone's working really hard all the time. Uh, academics are like you you have to do your work there's right n- there's no way around that not everyone is happy there not everyone likes it right and on the outside you're like why wouldn't you like it it's Harvard right but right it, it's really a, a fit it's a feeling thing it's Absolutely. not for it's not for everyone right even when it's Harvard yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's the case for any school it's you might like I went to Duke for the first time and I was walking around Duke. My friend went Mm -hmm. to Duke and and loved it. And Duke's an amazing school, obviously, but I don't looking at it now. I'm like, as cool as it is, as beautiful as all the fields are, it's so spread out. It's like, she, she said when she was touring me around, she was like, we have to get in the car and drive. I was like, what do you mean? We can't walk. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would like constant transportation across campus. Right. And but, that would be different than, you know, Harvard. So kind of contained. Yeah, I kind of got lucky in that way and that I I was in touch with that feeling mm-hmm. when I was on Harvard's campus and I liked really everything about it. And you can walk to everything. And that was almost natural. But I don't know if I was 16. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would even ask myself that question. Right. That might not have been what was going through your head as a 16 year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we you know, really want students to also think about college beyond just selectivity rate and prestige as kind of a measure of quality. Mm Because I think that's such a natural um, way to, in our brains, kind of make sense of things. Well, Harvard must be a better school than Duke because Harvard's more selective. And both of those must be a better school than... um, Loyola University, Maryland, because they're more selective than Loyola, you know, and it's, I I think, again, that's just a natural way to process something in our brain. But what we really hope students think about just are all those variables of fit and match related to size and location and setting and program and and financial aid, you know, for lots of families, Mm -hmm. the cost is a factor too. And Mm -hmm. sometimes making that decision of, oh, I really did love this school, but gosh, that's $75,000 and this school gave me a really generous scholarship and they're gonna be $30,000. So Mm -hmm. does it make more sense for me to spend? Yeah, you definitely don't think of that that when you're a teenager, (laughs) right? right? (laughs) Oh, when I graduate- that's more of a parent question. I'm gonna be in debt and I'm gonna have to take on a job that I might not like to pay for my college. Exactly. 
And the other thing too is the location because I know when I was in school, it was hard to get home, hard to see my family. Yeah. And you don't, I, I don't know if you think about that that much is like, you know, you're, especially your first year, you get a little homesick. Mm -hmm. You're, you miss your, if you're close with your family, you miss your family. If you're really far away and you don't see them that much, that's also a factor. It's sometimes right. nice if you went to Hopkins, be able to just, you know, drive 15 minutes home yeah. to get a meal or see your parents or see your siblings. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, it's, it's the distance from home, but also the ease of travel, you know, so some schools that could even be a shorter distance driving wise, let's say it's a six hour drive that might be harder to get to than uh, Tulane in New Orleans, which has a number of direct Southwest flights, mm -hmm. you know, so it's sometimes right. that too, sometimes that initial will say, oh, but New Orleans, that's too far. And if it's too far, it's too far, but it may actually be the same amount of travel time that it might take you to, let's say, drive to the University of South Carolina in mm -hmm. Columbia, South Carolina, you know, so sometimes it's that. Yeah. Interesting that to, to consider the, that. the logistics. And I went to college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is, you know, not easy to get to. I grew up in Vermont. So there was, I mean, you were just driving eight hours. There was no real yeah. flying option that made sense. I did not know you grew up in Vermont. I did. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. What was that like up there? Yeah, so I am from a town called Brattleboro, Vermont. Do you know where that is? No, it I, is, I haven't spent much time up yeah, there. Yeah, that's and no one right. If it's not Burlington, most that's people probably cannot. the only place I know. <laughs> so Brattleboro is in the southeast corner. So if this is Vermont, it's like right here. So it's um, the Connecticut River's here, and so New Hampshire. You drive. I mean, we can see New Hampshire from our mm -hmm. town, and then it's about fifteen minutes north of Massachusetts. So it's right down there in the corner. Um, my parents are both still there, though I have not, you know, lived full time in Vermont in, gosh, I mean, over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, it will always be my home, but I feel kind of removed from it. Mm -hmm. I think that Vermont is a place I appreciate so much more as an adult than I did as maybe a 14 year old when it was like, oh, I don't want to go cross country skiing this weekend. Yeah. You know, and the town that I grew up in is by Vermont standards, a good sized town. I mean, there were movie theaters, grocery stores, you know, it's a real um, town kind of a booming metropolis by Vermont standards with, you know, I think 14,000 people, but you know, the mall was 45 minutes away. I mean, it was uh, spread out. Yeah. A small town. And so I appreciate so much more now the hiking and the snowshoeing and cross country skiing and kayaking. I mean, if you like to be outdoors, there's not many places that are better to be. I did not appreciate that quite as much as, you know, a middle school student, for, for sure. example. Um, but I love to go back and visit when I can, you know, it's a little harder now just having kids, um, to get back and forth, but I like to go when I can. Yeah. New England outdoors is amazing, yeah. especially maybe not in the winter, but in the fall, I'm not a big skier. I don't yeah. know. You, you might be, but, um, but especially in the fall and the summertime, it's yeah. there's nothing like it. 
It is really there. spectacular. And I'm actually, I don't downhill ski and I never did, but I do cross country ski, oh, cool. which is, you know, such great exercise and so beautiful. I think to live in Vermont or Northern New England, you have to embrace winter. You know, you have to figure out I'm a skier or a snowshoer or um, ice skating, you know, or else you will be inside for, you know, six months out of the year. But I think being in Vermont too, it's just so much like everyone in Vermont gets snow tires and knows how to drive in the snow. Unlike here where you have two inches of snow right. and we're in school's canceled mode. and yeah. everyone's freaking out. Even, yeah. Even when it rains, it's like, you know, <laughs> right. it's raining. Right. Oh, got to account, you know, for up, up there. It's just another day. It's like, we'll shovel it off. You you just, guys everybody are... has a shovel in the back of their car. You know, you keep like kitty litter in your trunk in case you get stuck on the ice. It gives you traction and yeah. you just wear big, ugly boots and a big old LL Bean parka. That's life. It's kind of just, yeah. yeah. So, so I do, I miss it. It is beautiful. And the, what's wonderful about Vermont is just how, easy it is to do things outside you know it's not a um a big ordeal to go hiking or skiing you know so many of those things are just right outside your door or mm -hmm. within an hour um have you have you been able to find that here in baltimore in terms of some good hikes and i've been looking around for that a little bit there's i mean yeah what's the what's the park uh it's Probably like thirty minutes north, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, gunpowder. Yeah, gunpowder. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's not there's not too much hiking in Baltimore. Not too much. I would call that walking more than hiking. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's to a walk. be a hike, kind of, you're going up and then back down. Right. Um, no, and I do actually. I think there's probably more to do outdoors around Baltimore than people might think. You mm. know, if you weren't from the area. The Patapsco, that's south of Baltimore a little bit. Um, and even, you know, the Stony Run Trail, I run on that a lot or run at Lake Roland. Um, but I, I, it is different than, to me, different than hike hiking. So I have not found anywhere in yeah. the immediate area. We usually, I'm from outside Philadelphia, yeah. near Valley Forge. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the go-to spot for yeah. my family, which is we're lucky to live right right near there yeah, that's it's a nice great park um, but is that mainly during this whole COVID time is that kind of how you're finding your like freedom away from the zoom getting outside and running and yeah i yes and i have i actually have not been running consistently since i was like 24 years old um i lived in florida for a couple years right after i graduated and i lived um in a house that was probably eight blocks north from the water. It was in St. Petersburg. So it was on the Gulf of Mexico side, um, Tampa Bay. So I was, I think, eight blocks north of the water and maybe six blocks west. So I would run most mornings along the water and there were manatees and dolphins. It was, you know, like a sea world or something. Wow. And then I really just got out of the kind of regular running habit for a lot of my life but since covid i have been running um 
sometimes, you know, feel like I'm going to lose my mind if I don't just get yeah. out of my house. Totally. Yeah. And I do also feel like I've walked more. I think that's true for a lot of people. I've just taken more walks mm -hmm. because I haven't been going to the gym. You know, normally I do yoga and Pilates, but I just haven't felt comfortable going kind of inside exercise places or gyms. So I've been walking more, yeah, and running probably three or four days a week. So it's nice. I mean, you have to do something, something to get to change it up. Yeah. Um, I think my students are a little zoomed out, so I'm trying to give them I some know. some different things that they can do to, you know, to to get out. Yeah, because I don't think that's always a natural to like a 16 year old to just go for a a walk. You might not think about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you have a laundry list of things you need to do. Right. It never ends. Right. College and... Right. And finishing up your homework and... Physics, English. Right. There's always something. And then you could just play video games or Netflix or something else. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Sometimes their relaxation is just more screen. Exactly. I think for a lot of people it is, but... It just really, it really helps to leave that behind for at least yeah. 20, 20 Even minutes. Just 20 minutes, right? Go walk around the block and get fresh air and a change of scenery. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's good. I've been doing meditation. Mm -hmm. Some yoga is mm -hmm. helpful. Even just reading a book. Yeah. Like just away from the screen. Just have right. some time. Yeah. And do you do a yoga? Is it like a video or do you just do your own? So I have... I honestly have a couple videos. Mm -hmm. It's not very like diverse in terms yeah. of the content, but I like these two like hip hip openers. Mm -hmm. I've got tight hips, yeah. my back, my lower back. So I I just play this lady. She gives me, you know, she tells me mm -hmm. what to do. I have my yoga mat mm -hmm. and I um it's like 30 minutes and it's pretty good, it's a pretty good workout. Yeah. You feel yeah. better after. Totally. Um but yeah, I think like I like core power and I like the yoga studios, mm -hmm. but I also, I don't want to wear a mask when I'm doing yoga yeah. with a bunch of other people. The strangers, right. That you don't know. Yeah. I kind of just like doing, like, I don't think I'm ever going to go back. Cause why would I pay, why would I pay for that when I can right. just have my phone YouTube. Right. And do it on your own schedule. Yeah. Yeah. On YouTube. Um, so that's been good. Um, uh, but going back to your college experience in like when you were in high school mm -hmm. and, and, finding FNM, what was that like for you? Did you have certain, were there certain factors about FNM when you first went on that campus that spoke to you? Yeah. So I went to a, um, an independent school in Massachusetts. I did ninth grade at my local public school and then went uh, to boarding school. And what school? it's a school called Northfield Mount Hermon. Oh yeah. I've Do heard you know a lot. NMH? Yeah. yeah. So it's beautiful. It's, it's out there in Massachusetts, it is, right? Yeah. It is not, um, near things it is pretty rural but actually only about 30 minutes from my hometown in vermont um but because i was going in as a 10th grader the space they had for me was as a boarding student um i was probably not their strongest applicant so and because there are not you know unlike baltimore where it feels like there's an independent school on every corner there are not day schools you know where mm -hmm. we're from so students from kind of Southern Vermont or that part of Massachusetts that wanted an independent school were at places like these. So there are only so many day student spaces. So long story short, I was a boarding student there 10th through 12th grade, um, which was great to still be close to home. So I could go home for weekends or if it was, you know, somebody's birthday. And so the culture 
there, at least when I was there, was very much around, you know, NESCAC schools. Everybody wanted to go to Middlebury and Bowdoin and, and Tufts and Trinity and a lot of small liberal arts kind of New England based um, and the students were coming from all over the world. So that, of course, there was a lot of variation, but just the, the overwhelming, you know, just like here at Gilman, lots of people want to go to UVA um, or go south. That was the, the overwhelming um, kind of move there towards the smaller New England liberal arts schools. And so I looked at a lot of those schools and my college counselor said, you know, if you like a lot of these schools, you should also look at Franklin and Marshall, which is very similar to Trinity and Connecticut College and Skidmore, but just a little further away. And so I talked to the Franklin and Marshall person at a college fair at my high school and got on their mailing list and then applied and and through the series of, you know, I applied early decisions somewhere that I did not get in. I was deferred and then denied. Um, and and got into FNM, which I wasn't really expecting on the same day, I re will remember this forever, that I got waitlisted from what I had thought of as my safety school. So it was this roller coaster of emotion. And so I did not step foot on the Franklin and Marshall campus until summer orientation when I had already paid my deposit and made my oh, wow. decision. And I had done a phone interview with the admission, you know, this was pre like Skype or Zoom or FaceTime days. Um, and just the way that my kind of options eventually came back, I knew that was the right option for me, even though I hadn't physically visited. So I just kind of took the plunge. Um, yeah. Wow. You really did. And there I was. And <laughs> yeah. it worked out and you and loved it. And it worked out and it was great. Yeah. yeah. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. And and you can probably share that experience with some of the seniors applying to colleges yeah. taking that leap of faith. Because you, I mean, even if you have been on campus, you don't really know what it's like when, you, right. you, when you're a student there and you're away from home and if you'll like it or not. Right. Um, and sometimes I do think when students visit, and I, I do think, you know, as we talked about earlier, there's nothing that really takes the place of just that gut feeling that you have. But often when you are visiting, maybe over the summer, you're still not getting always a great sense of that because the campus might be really empty or it might just be summer programs that aren't even for the current students. You know, it may be like high school, pre-college programs or different mm -hmm. programs. Um, and we do talk to a lot of students who you know, oh, yeah, I liked it, but oh, I, I, my tour guide was awful, you know, mm -hmm. and so then it's kind of been scratched off the list. So I think the visiting is so important, but it can cut both ways sometimes, you know, if you go and it's just a really rainy, miserable day, oh, that totally. may be your enduring impression of the school, even mm -hmm. if there's all this other stuff. That's but, so true. All those minor factors yeah. make a difference. Um and I always try to tell lacrosse players yeah. that are looking to play in college somewhere and they're visiting schools. It's always a good idea to, number one, make sure you have a good relationship with the coach and you like the guy right. because you might not realize it, but that's pretty much your dad for four years right. and he's going to be in your grill and like you better be a decent human being. Right. But also talk to some of the players and people on campus if you can and figure out like, what do you guys think of the coach right. and what what's... 
what are some of the negatives to going to school here right. and asking those type of questions and you might not be that comfortable with doing that as a yeah. high school guy but they're really important and they can influence whether or not you actually go to that school or not right absolutely and i do think getting that which I obviously did not have as a high school senior, but getting that more candid look at a school beyond because, you know, admissions people are salespeople and yeah. they're marketing to you and everyone shows you their rock climbing wall and everyone talks about their holistic admission process. And students often remark, oh my gosh, these information sessions all sound exactly the same. And so we are always giving advice of, you know, walking through the library just on your own or eating lunch in the dining hall or connecting with Gilman alums or alums from other local schools that might be there. Granted, it's still one person's opinion. So I think you've always got to take feedback with a grain of salt, but just getting that kind of more unscripted, like, yeah, what what are the bad things about being here? Or what do you love about being here? Or what surprised you most about Harvard? Mm -hmm. You know, something that, like Chief said, as a 17-year-old, you never would have thought about, but then you got there and realized, oh, I actually really value this, or ooh, this wasn't quite what I thought. Yeah, I mean, you're a whole different person three, four years down yeah. the road. It's, it's really a tricky right. thing because it is, a, it is somewhat of a big decision, but I also think we place as a society, so much emphasis on where you go to yeah. school and, you know, what the name brand is when in reality, and I think I said this to Justin Baker when he was on here, if you, if you have a certain passion, if you do the, um, inter internship experience right. at Gilman, you love something like you, you can do that at whatever school right. it is. Like you're going to figure it out. Like for, for me, I, like even going to Harvard, I think if I went to any other school, mm -hmm. I would be probably doing what I'm doing right now. I love right. English. I knew that. Right. Like I love reading and writing. I'd probably find my way into a library and every college right. has a library. You were. Right. So that's kind of like a relief for some students when all they're thinking about is the name brand. And right. My friend got into these schools right. and I didn't. It's like you're you're, you're going to be you're okay. Gonna You'll be turn okay. out. Just try right. to try to figure out what you like to do. Right. Yeah, and there's a was a big study out of Stanford, kind of ironically, a couple years ago, that was it found exactly that that it what matters is not where you go, but what you do while you're in there. So these kind of three layers of engagement of engaging with your peers, with your faculty, and maybe with alumni. I can't remember what the third one was, but that was their finding of all these students that really it didn't matter. It just mattered not that you went to Harvard, but that you did this, 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 and this while you were at Harvard. And if you had done those same things at Franklin and Marshall or Goucher College up the road, you know, you could find that same success. Um, and I think that some students being really, really honest actually thrive more in the non-Harvards of the world where you are a small fish in a big, super competitive, super driven pond. Mm -hmm. Some students might actually flourish where they are a, a, at a place where they can kind of be a rock star, you know, be the, I don't even want to say a big fish in a small pond because that, that can make it sound like it's diminishing the rest of the students. But you know, being a medium fish in a medium pond, you know, yeah. somewhere where you can really 
excel and have all these opportunities that you might not always get at a hyper competitive place where everybody's vying for the same internship or the same grad school mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot a lot about how you feel about yourself when yeah. you're at that school mm -hmm. like am i chasing my tail the whole time trying to keep right. up with everybody right. or am i am i happy and like doing my work and keeping up and finding you know new friends and having a social life and having more opportunities because I'm not on the treadmill right. all the right. time. And I think it kind of cuts, you know, some students really do thrive in that kind of intense environment where they are being pushed by others. You know, that helps them be motivated and, and kind of meet their best. But you're right. Some people it's, um, that's not the best environment, even if they can get accepted, you know, for better or worse, so few people get into, you know, Harvard that it kind of solves itself for a lot of students. I think they're, you know, admitting 5% of students these days. So sometimes those, those options are not truly options. But, you know, we also, I think as we see, certainly with students here and nationally rising mental health issues, for some students, I think that have really struggled with anxiety and depression, sometimes also the most super intense competitive place is not the best for them mm -hmm. from kind of a mental health perspective. And, and I don't say that to suggest that a student at, say, Franklin and Marshall is not working as hard or being as challenged as someone at Yale. But, um, you know, sometimes a place that might let students find a little more balance between school and personal life, or maybe a place that's a little closer to home that lets them have more contact with their family, you know, can really be like a better fit as they think about taking care of themselves, mm -hmm. you know, throughout their college experience. Yeah, the mental health thing is concerning. Yeah. Um, what, curious your thoughts on like, what can people like Gilman, faculty and parents, what can we do to help that situation? Because it, they're, you know, kids who are seniors who are looking at schools, it should be an exciting time to right. figure out who you are and your identity and what you want. But with all the pressure, and I feel like there are a lot of really negative ways of going about it and looking at it, mm -hmm. maybe from the parents too, because some of it is also parents living vicariously through their kid right. and wanting that UVA squash bumper sticker right. or wanting that Yale lacrosse bumper sticker and like wearing the jacket and being a parent at the games right. and when maybe that's not what the kid really wants. I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the mental health and that all weighing down on you when you're 16 and you don't even really know who you are and what you right. like is, is tough. Yeah, it is. And that's really, of all this, the work that we do, that is kind of the thing that keeps me up at night. You know, the ways that students, and I don't think the college admission process is solely to blame, you know, for mental health struggles that students face. But I do think it exacerbates them, you know, either maybe students that already dealt with things like anxiety or depression or just are feeling that weight of expectations of their parents or their extended family and sometimes even the school you know we send out that matriculation list and i think students can sometimes feel 
badly if they feel like, oh, I'm just going, I know he's going here, he's going here, he's going here, and I'm just going here. Even though we don't see it that way, we're just as excited that you got into Franklin and Marshall as we are that you got into Harvard. Um, and as we talk to our colleagues on the college side, they are, you know, quadrupling the size of their campus counseling center. And, and so all the things we're seeing, colleges are seeing too, students that are, are just struggling with mental health and I think need more support than they've seen in the past. I think the one positive is that I think there is so much less of a stigma surrounding mental health than there was maybe even 10 or 20 years ago. So mm -hmm. I do think students feel a lot more comfortable saying, I think I'm depressed or I'm feeling anxious in a way that is preventing me from doing my best in school or I think I need some help from somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. beyond my advisor, you know, and I think Dr. Mo is such a great resource for, for sure. students and certainly are students that need even more. So I do think that is the one positive. I feel like it's just more commonly discussed. You know, we have the students that founded the mental health awareness club with the thought that they think it should be discussed more freely. Um, and I, don't, I, think, I don't know too much about that. Yeah, it's and I don't know a lot about what the status of it is, but I know there's a small group that worked with Dr. Mo to found the club, Mental Health Awareness Club, um, just exactly with that idea that, you know, there's not, that there could be more awareness around mental health. And I think that it's thinking about it both from the, like, clinical, you know, depression, anxiety, other things to just the more healthy living, you know, learning about the benefits of meditation, for example, or managing your stress. So I think Sarah Ross might've been doing some yeah, meditation she was, last year. I think with Cheryl, Cheryl Nakeba, I yeah. think they were doing, um, yeah. Well, now that I've been doing it for a while, I really do think that meditation would mm -hmm. help our high schoolers yeah. for sure yeah. because it just removes you from everything for even if it's five ten minutes right like i'm addicted to it at this point like right. i need it um, yeah and i think when you're when you have all these pressures and everything weighing down on you and in an environment like this and it might you know it might be just like you're you're going to college it's really right. really a good thing right. but also you can feel that way and meditation just takes you out of everything for a certain amount of time and yeah you can you can weave that into your life too you can just you can you just notice your emotions more and how you're feeling right. i think it helps right. in all areas and i think that club and if we can support that that's that's great for the college process Absolutely. for sure yeah yeah because i do i think again that the the college process is not the sole cause of all that stress, but it is certainly a contributing factor. Um, and I think that we, you know, I think some of that is on us as a school community to really celebrate the students and their successes, whatever that success looks like. Because I, I think that really comes sometimes as much from our own community that the acceptance to Princeton just sounds really sexy and your acceptance to um, Rutgers 
doesn't sound as sexy, but for that student, getting accepted to Rutgers may have been a bigger mm -hmm. kind of win. Or, you know, we talked about the financial aid. Some, for a lot of students, that's a factor. And, and we, because that journey is so personal to students, we don't ever want them to feel like, oh, well, you're just going here. Mm -hmm. Like that's somehow a negative it is it is so hard because it, it's, a, it's a balance between we are an independent school this isn't a competitive environment right. when you sign up to come to gilman that you know that yeah but it's also weighing that with like you're going to college it's it's a good thing you're right. going to find out in right. college what you like and what you want to do after it's only four years it goes very quickly right and, you know, we have lots and lots of students that transfer also. Um, I shouldn't say lots and lots, but a number of students every year come back to us in their first or second year of college. And that place, and sometimes that was their first choice. You know, mm -hmm. that was their early decision and they loved it and they got in and they get there and realize it's still not exactly the right fit. And so I think that we can probably... I mean, even in college counseling can talk about that more with students that this is also does not have to be a decision that you're locked into for four years. If you get somewhere and it's just not the right place for you, there are lots of other paths to still get somewhere that's either a better fit or you didn't get accepted to that dream school as a high school senior, well then go somewhere else, work your butt off and apply to transfer. And you might get to the University of Pennsylvania as a sophomore, you know, even if that wasn't attainable for you as a high school senior. Oh, wow. So you can get rejected your senior year and then have a really good freshman year somewhere yeah. else and then transfer into that yeah. same school. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if I knew that. You can, because at that point as a transfer applicant, you're evaluation is really primarily on your college grades. You know, granted, it's still going to be competitive at, mm -hmm. you know, a super selective school, but you, most of those schools, um, even, you know, the most, most, most competitive colleges in the country have spaces for transfer students. So mm -hmm. even if they said, no, you can get a year or two of college level work and then reapply and show them what success you're having in college. Hmm. Um, and even, you know, grad school, right? If Penn is your dream or Harvard's your dream, that can still happen for you mm -hmm. in the future. And there's a great, I can't remember if it's Harvard, it's like Harvard Law School or Harvard Business School, but they publish the list of undergraduate institutions where students come from. And, you know, of course there's Yale and Princeton and Stanford. And there's, you know, Indiana University Bloomington mm -hmm. and the University of Central Connecticut and um, University of North Florida. You know, it's such a wide range. And I think things like that, you know, to our conversation about maximizing the opportunities wherever you go to college is such a great testament to, well, no, you can go to yeah. Goucher College right up the road and still go to Harvard Law School yeah, someday that's, that's if really that's cool. a dream for you. Yeah, yeah you just p perform really well there, do well in your LSATs, and anything is possible. And anything's possible. You know, and there are, I'm sure you remember this from your own high school experience, you know, we have a lot of students here that are, you know, they've been super strong, super consistent from the first day of freshman year, and they're just kind of rock stars all the way through. 
And we have a lot of students who are also figuring out how to be a student and may have had some stumbles in freshman year adjusting to upper school or may have had some circumstances outside of their control that impacted their grades. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everybody is kind of fully formed as a student in Mm -hmm. high school. And so for lots of of students, I think they're going to find, you know, that success that those things that click in college and Mm -hmm. then can open up all those doors you know, career-wise or grad school-wise. That's so true on the academic side. And I think on the athletic side, just looking at some of the best lacrosse players like in the country were okay, Mm -hmm. mediocre in high school. It's the the same like Michael Jordan not making his, you know, basketball team in high school. It's the same thing. It's like you could be mediocre and sit on the bench in high school and then all of a sudden you're the best player in college lacrosse or college basketball. Right. Um, yeah, that's really cool. It's, it, it's true. And again, like there, there's another kid that I played middle school Mm -hmm. basketball with. He wasn't that good. He sat on the bench and we had a pretty good middle school team, but he didn't play that much. He was shooting around playing basketball all the time. Every time I saw him, he was at the Y playing pickup. Mm -hmm. Now he's on the Phoenix suns and he's in his third year, you know, printing money for the Phoenix suns and (laughs) being on all these ads. We're like, Macau, you were decent in middle right, school. Right, you were fine. <laughs> right. It's the same process, though. It's just take what you have and work. And and just keep working. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, you know, in in thinking about the the college process and college admissions, you know, it's sometimes this kind of counterintuitive, you know, the students that sometimes are not that worried about the college admission process, but just do the stuff they really love doing. And, you know, we're talking about reading that love to read and love to explore things. They are often, I think, the the most successful students in college, regardless of where they go, because their motivation is intrinsic. You know, they just like a basketball player, you know, love school, love learning, love ideas. And that sets them up so well for success. I think that comes through on the college essay or on different parts of the application. And people that work in admissions at some of these colleges can sense that, I think. Because like I I met people at Harvard who you were kind of shocked that they got what they got on their SAT or their GPA and whatnot. But they were obsessed with fencing and they were really good at fencing or they, they had some a lot of times bizarre talent, yeah. like the, an amazing piccolo player or this kid I met who spoke like six different languages. Right. That comes through when you write it. I think the essays. Yeah. Pretty. It might be the most important yeah. part in some ways. It really is. Because if you think about, I mean, we're just picking on Harvard because that's where you went. But, you know, if you think about Harvard, virtually everyone applying has straight A's, a very demanding program. Uh, they're test optional this year because of COVID, but you know, in normal times, super high testing and leadership and service and an extensive resume. So that in a lot of ways is almost just the baseline because that's the majority of the applicant pool. And then it's, so it's really things like the essay, the recommendation letters, um, they do alumni interviews, you know, those ways that they are are trying to assess more really who you are as a learner, who you are as a person, what you're bringing to the community. Um, 
because they could fill their class. You know, and their dean of admission says, I could randomly pick 2,000 applications out of the deny pile and have the exact same academic profile for the class as I do for the students we admitted. Mm. Um, so, and I do think that that's so hard to convey in an application, right? But it's those more the pieces of things like essays and, you know, places like Harvard and lots of selective schools then also have their supplemental essays. So they have even more writing they want you to do beyond just your primary essay. So giving them a chance to evaluate that stuff they really care about. Mm. Um, and often those students, I think you're exactly right, the ones who are naturally intellectually curious and, and like to read or research or learn about things often are the most compelling applicants because those traits come across through the application and through the recommendation letters that you know mm -hmm. you and your colleagues take an incredible amount of time to write, you know, mm -hmm. as you describe that student that stays after class to talk about the book you've been reading or, you know, got really excited about Huck Finn or whatever you're reading in 11th grade English and then did some additional research on his own to learn yeah. more. It's You don't realize that, but you don't, I mean, even if you do all the work and you have a hundred and yeah. you, get, you get by, it's, that might not make a, a very strong recommendation right. letter if you don't exhibit that passion, curiosity, those different facets. It might be the kid who gets an 85, but is like constantly talking to me after class about one even if it's not even related it, right. it rubs off and it's uh it's compelling and i think it weaves its way into mm -hmm. these applications somehow i mean it's hard to really get a strong gauge for, for, as an admission yeah like I've, I've heard some admissions they like don't even they can't really read everything right yeah i mean I, they are reading very quickly mm -hmm. i think they're reading very 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 quickly. Um, and most schools have a system where files are being read by at least two people. And a, a kind of new uh, invention in the world of college admission is something called committee-based evaluation. So you and I are both, you know, Duke admission officers, and we are sitting side by side in the same office, probably Zoom by Zoom in COVID world. Um, <laughs> And I'm looking at the school material. So I'm looking at the transcript. I'm looking at the profile to get a sense of how many APs are offered at the school. I'm looking at testing. And then you on your screen next to me are reading the recommendation letters and you're reading the extracurricular activities list. And then I'm reading the personal essay and we're kind of comparing notes on the student so that all applications are kind of automatically getting two different sets of eyes on them. And then the two people reading are comparing notes and saying, oh, okay, well, I'm noticing the math grade is a little bit lower. And then you're reading the recommendation from the math teacher that's describing maybe that that student struggled, but worked so hard and put in all this extra time to try to master math. And so we're getting this picture together of, um, of a file like so a, that's an a, interesting the mosaic of the person yeah exactly and trying to also 
I think that also aims to offset any bias. So like, mm -hmm. let's say I've been reading Gilman applicants forever and I just love Gilman applicants and I want to accept them all. Well, maybe you've never even heard of Gilman School. Mm -hmm. So you're coming in with a different perspective or you're reading applications from Kansas. And so you're seeing a different array of students and, and that's helping to give perspective. For sure. Um, yeah, it's an interesting process, but um, do you think this is the way like the, the SAT, the GPA, the two essays from teachers, yeah. the, the personal essay, do you think that is kind of the system that's going to be in place forever? Is there any, I was talking to Robbie Ford about something, an idea that it's going around and I think Gilman the, actually- The mastery transcript. Mastery transcript. Uh -huh. That sounds like a pretty cool idea yeah. and I can see that in the future maybe. Um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like you might be missing out on so much from right. the way that it's done right. right now. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of work on looking at how applications are read and kind of thinking of different ways that a school might evaluate an applicant. Because also, you know, there's just so much inequity inherent in the current process, right? So students who go to a school like Gilman are very often going to have stronger recommendation letters than a student that goes to a huge public school mm -hmm. with a guidance counselor that may be working with 500 other students. And that doesn't mean that our Gilman student is any more qualified than that student, but just that I have 30 seniors, not 200 seniors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that, you know, virtually all colleges are test optional this year in light of the COVID pandemic. And so that will be really interesting to see how that takes shape. Some schools have been really clear, you know, they're, were pulled kicking and screaming into test optional and have pretty much said, look, the second we can require test scores again, we will be asking for them. You know, this will not be a permanent shift. I think some schools will get through this year and realize they are able to read applications without test scores. And there were already hundreds and hundreds of colleges like Wake Forest and Franklin and Marshall and Bucknell that were test optional prior to COVID. So it, it will be really interesting to see how that kind of continues to take shape. But there's a, a group of college admission counselors and college counselors um, called the Character Collaborative. And then there's a group out of Harvard, the Harvard Grad School of Education called Making Caring Common, which we've done some advisory stuff with them. Mm -hmm. But a branch of that is specifically working with college admission. And so these are two groups that are both working with, you know, how can we better assess character in the admission process? And character meaning, you know, of course, moral and ethical ethical character, but things like family responsibilities. You know, lots of students in this country perhaps can't do a ton of extracurricular activities because they are taking care of their younger siblings mm -hmm. or they're taking care of their grandmother that lives with them or they're working 20 hours a week at the grocery store to help support their family. Um, you know, things like grit and resilience and determination and reaction to setbacks and you know what Henry Smythe always talks about, that kind of good citizenship, right? Like a first-class citizen 
picks up trash even when nobody is looking. Right. You know, that kind of idea. The, the intangibles. Yeah, exactly. That that are not always captured by a GPA, a test score, an AP score, or again at a Harvard, everybody's got those excellent kind of numeric qualities. And so I think there are, so the mastery transcript is one possible avenue to, you know, evaluate students less on kind of a numeric grading scale, but more on those different qualities like compassion and empathy and grit. Um, and I think there's some different ideas of, you know, I'd, more interviews, for example, you know, some schools use an interview process because that helps them get at those factors, um, different kind of assessment tools. But, you know, it's also, as we said, then when you're in the Harvard admission office and you're reading 40,000 applications, you've also necessarily have to move at a certain pace to read all those applications. So mm -hmm. it's... Um, I think all of these kind of new ideas and tools or even, you know, test optional, taking test scores out of the process, it will forever be a balance of how can we reshape the process, but then how can we also read 40,000 applications in six months or whatever right. their time frame is. That's got to be tough for colleges yeah. right now, taking the test scores out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm conflicted about that because... Although I do feel test scores are obviously important as a standard way of measuring academic performance and knowledge, understanding all that, you, I feel like you can also pay your way in many mm -hmm. cases to a stronger SAT score because it really is a test that you can learn. Like you, if you, I had a tutor for the SAT and I took the SAT, you know, four or five times right. or something. And my score jumped just right. after understanding how to take the test. So I'm a little conflicted on the SAT. I think it is probably necessary, but I don't know how much longer it will be. You know, I, I feel like there, there are different ways that right. we could figure out. Absolutely. And there are, I mean, it's very, and the College Board publishes this data, you know, so it's not... Um, and it's there are very clear links between you know parent income level and test score between parent education level and test score between race and ethnicity and test score um and you're right i mean at the very core more affluent students have stronger test scores because they can hire tutors or do test prep they can afford to take the test let's say four times instead of one time mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. Some colleges, I think most colleges that require the SAT say that they do consider it in context, right? So they're they're getting a sense of the kind of educational environment that the student comes from. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a challenge for, again, those schools that have a huge volume of applications. That's just a data point they've always used. And that's just, I think that's lots of standard. schools feel like I just need this, but... You're right. I mean, if the SAT was just truly a test that measured intelligence, which was, you know, what it was allegedly designed to do, if, the, if that was the sole factor, then you wouldn't be able to tutor your way into a stronger score, you know. But of course, if you can take a test prep class, you're probably going to do better on the SAT than if you're not able to take a test prep class. But, so it's a but the yeah. other the other point about the SAT is you can be 
a student who's maybe not the strongest in class, maybe a little lazy, mm-hmm. maybe not, maybe taking care of family members right. and not as able to put the time necessary to get an A in physics right. or whatever, but you are just brilliant. And, and like, th- there shouldn't be a reason why you couldn't have a chance to get into an Ivy League right. school because there's no SAT like that. That's a saving grace for a lot of right. kids. Right. Right. And that's what, you know, the, the thing about test optional schools, and there are a few schools to get, get into nuance and semantics. There are a couple of schools that have gone completely away from test scores. So Caltech, for example, has said, we will not look at test scores. If you send them to us, we will, you know, throw them in the digital trash. So they are test free or test blind. They're totally discontinuing test scores. And actually the whole University of California system through a um, series of legal challenges, they're not considering testing right now. But most schools that are test optional, you still have the choice to send your scores if you want to. And so that's what we're talking to students about a lot now. If you think your test score is a good reflection of who you are as a student and a person, then by all means, you Mm -hmm. should send that. And perhaps that does help you because it captures, you know, something that is maybe not quite there in your grades. You know, for some of our students, definitely their SAT is a better reflection of their potential sometimes than the grades they've earned. But I think at least being test optional gives those students the choice. So if they are flipped, you know, maybe they are a straight A student, but their just brain does not work in a way that they're ever going to be a strong test taker. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they don't have the financial resources to do test prep, or they just are so busy doing other, you know, maybe they play a sport and they do theater and they play the oboe and they just don't really have time for test prep. Um, that then those test optional schools, you know, really let their academic profile kind of speak for itself mm-hmm. without testing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all moves forward. Um, and I can see both sides of it, too. I mean, absolutely. And I don't think I don't think the SAT and the ACT will be going anywhere anytime hmm. soon, you know, at least as an option for students. Well, I do think that mastery transcript was pretty compelling Mm -hmm. in getting a more mosaic look at a student and the different, you know, that everyone's just so different as many different things. And it's really hard to measure um, like a 16 year old, 17 year old. It's it's a process, but. Right, right. And uh, you, you know, from teaching that sometimes your best students may not be the one getting the highest grade, but the one that you see really being a good classmate or a good friend or being really intellectually engaged in the book that you're reading might not be getting the 99 in your class for whatever reason. Or have a really high character, really personable. Right. Yeah. It's it's a complicated um, endeavor applying to colleges and accepting, but... Thank you for uh, all you're doing mm-hmm. for, for Gilman there. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Uh, I want to get to the book you yeah. brought in. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. It's very colorful. Yeah. It's have you read here. this? I have not. The Girl with the Loudest the Voice. The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare. Louding Voice. Louding Voice hmm. by Abby Dare, who is a um, Nigerian author. And 
It is a book about a young girl named Adonai who is, I don't want to give away too much mm -hmm. of the plot because you should put this on your summer reading list. Um, but it's, she, her mother has died when she's young and she is forced into an arranged marriage because her family has very little money left. Her, her mother earned most of the money for their family. And so her mother's kind of dying wish is for her to get an education, to find her louding voice through mm -hmm. her education. And so she is, ends up in this arranged marriage that's really awful and something goes very wrong and she needs to, to flee essentially. And she is basically um, sold to a household in Lagos as a, a domestic servant, a housemaid. And so gets to the big city and could almost seem like it will be a positive that she's moving into this opulent mansion and now in the big city, but um, gets there and is treated very, very, very poorly and is not actually earn all the money that's supposed to be coming to her. She's not getting any of the money. And then, um, but through all of this, and she's in her maybe early teens, through all of this, kind of never gives up this desire to get her education, to find her louding voice with the idea that being educated is what gives you a voice and gives you a voice for others. And um, she has this ultimate goal of being able to get educated herself so she can return and in turn educate other young people, especially girls. Wow, it sounds really good. It's amazing. It reminds yeah. me a little bit, I'm teaching this leadership course and mm -hmm. we talk about Malala. Do you know mm -hmm. Malala's story? Yeah. It reminds me uh, of her story, which is an amazing, yeah. uh, um, but that resilience mm -hmm. in terms of like edu education as right. something that changes your, it can change your life really. Totally. And something that, and I read this this summer and it just reminded me so much of how we take in, and I don't even mean we at Gilman, I mean, we just in the US, I think take the ability to get an education so much for granted, you know, and of course there are different reasons in this country why students may not graduate from high school and all kinds of, you know, systemic things working against them, but very broadly speaking, a K through 12 education is available to people in this country. Um, and for this girl, this young girl in Nigeria, you know, that's not a given at all because it's, you know, she's controlled by her father and he says that she's done with school and there's so few opportunities for her to get an education. It just was such a great reminder to me of how yeah. even, you know, despite the numerous problems of our public education system in this country, you know, just how lucky we are for the opportunities that most of our students most of our children get just come to school and learn yeah I mean, it's it's yeah it's in a it's a privilege to be able to do that because some people don't even don't, right and that's all they want and i think at gilman too like they're the pe the, the students at gilman sometimes you might not realize it but you're in s someone's position who would like wants to be at the right. school like right like, like Teenagers around Baltimore, they would want to be in your position right. learning at a place like this. Um, so I, I think that perspective is important, something to think about. Yeah. When did you pick this I, book up? I read this over the summer. It's a pretty new book. I think it came out in 2020 or maybe 2019. Um, 
2020. And I read it totally coincidentally right after I had read Half of a Yellow Sun by Chimamana Adichie. Did you read that? I have not. I need to read yeah. more of her. She, she is amazing. She actually spoke at my graduation. Oh, she did. Yeah. yeah. She And her speech was... She's Nigerian, I think. Yeah, she's yeah. Nigerian also. Yeah, and she did that. Have you ever seen her TED Talk about the danger of a single story? I feel yep. like all of our students have seen so that by good. now at so some good. point. Um, and I read them back to back, not through any kind of targeted, you know, Nigerian female author decision, but um, it was interesting. And after we we read um, Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe in 10th grade English in the spring. And so... It was just an interesting, you know, arc of yeah. of the kind of to read things fall apart, and then these more contemporary Nigerian authors. Um, and it's an interesting because it's all written in her, in the main character's kind of broken English. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little while to get into the rhythm of it and her phrasing of things. Um, but it it was excellent and a pretty quick read too. It's not well, three hundred and sixty six pages. It's it doesn't feel it super long though. Yeah, yeah, and it and it I will not ruin anything, but there is a happy ending. So you do also put it down and just feel good about it too. That's really good to know because uh, my mom has been asking me for book recommendations mm -hmm. recently, and she likes a ha like she likes happy yeah. you know a happy book and i'm like mom the books that i'm teaching in american <laughs> literature it's not you, super you, happy why is that like I you, don't know. american literature i'm i almost have womp, to war womp. warn yeah. my students before the year starts guys it's important to read these books they're critical american literature texts but they're, they're not always happy like they're, right. it's rare right um but i think i was thinking about this at the other day a lot of writers and musicians and artists what compels them to write and share their art is a lot of a lot of times pain right and suffering because they're living through something and they feel the the urge to put it on paper and that's right. why like that's where the power comes from right um but that's good to know that this story is yeah it does have a happy there's lots of sad right. parts but it does without ruining too much, it does end Good to know in a happy because... way, but not in a way that feels cloying. You know, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes it, books can almost have too much of a happy ending, like a lifetime movie kind of ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you just, I think in reading this, you do really just also feel along with this girl, you know, who's lost her mother so young and um, just wants to get an education. It's hard to not root for her and mm -hmm. want that for her awesome yeah well, thanks for bringing that in mm -hmm. and um thank you for coming on the podcast yeah. today. it was a fun conversation for having me. hopefully i think people will get a lot out of you talking about the college process yeah. because parents for sure i mean having to support their kids especially if it's the first time right that information's not always accessible so appreciate it yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, you.